Okay, so my name is Rich. Um, I've been involved with Oceanside for several years now. Um, I want to give you some ways that you can get involved. And I want to welcome you if you're a new visitor to um, Oceanside Sanctuary. We'd like to know that you're here, and um, there's a couple ways that you can do that. First of all, way number one is there's a little connect card in the um, pews that you can fill out and drop in the box back there. Um, or if you have a cell phone, you can um, focus it on the little QR code and it'll open up an app where you can find out more about Oceanside Sanctuary and you can find out uh, ways to get involved. So ways to get involved is um, one, light up with pride interfaith worship service. That is Thursday, June 27th at 630 here at Oceanside Sanctuary Church. It's going to be a joyous celebration of love, acceptance, and inclusivity. Come as you are and experience a service filled with uplifting music, inspiring messages, and a community that embraces diversity. A special event is a testament to our unwavering support for the LGBTQIA community and a reminder of the inherent worth and dignity of every individual. All are welcome. Woo -hoo. Woo -hoo. Um, also, volunteer with uh, Oceanside Sanctuary at Brother Benno's the fourth Friday of each month. So this month, it will be June 23rd. You can help us serve breakfast to the homeless by volunteering in their kitchen. And you can find out more about that by uh, scanning the QR code or visiting the Oceanside Sanctuary website. Um, you're also invited to attend our annual congregation meeting. That is, uh, I think, next Sunday, June 25th, after the 11:15, after the service, starting at 11:15, um, we'll do things like approve budget and board slates for the year. Then, after that, on the same Sunday, from 2 to 4:30 is our junior high pool party in Encinitas. It'll be a time of fun in the sun. You can drop off your kids or parents are welcome to join as well. Feel free to invite your junior high friends, um, but you need to RSVP for this event and you can do that through the QR code or going to the Oceanside website. Also, our book club is taking uh, an annual summer break during July and August. We'll be back September 7th to discuss Love Big or Go Home by Phil Wyman. Um, details are also available to OceansideSanctuary.org. And we're also collecting ideas for books in the coming year. So if you have books that you would like us to read and discuss, um, be sure and see me. Uh, finally, we uh, don't take traditional offering like you see in some churches, um, but we're a 501c3 nonprofit and we rely on the donations of people just like you. And you can support us again by opening up the QR code or going to OceansideSanctuary.org. Thank you. How are you guys? Good. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Coker. I'm the co-lead minister here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. You might have noticed the palpable excitement in the room when Rich announced the congregational meeting <laughs> next week. 
So I thought that I would just go ahead and for those of you who are not aware, maybe give you a little orientation to what that is about. So we are a congregational church. That means our decisions are really made from the ground up. And so we have a representative board of elders and the congregation makes all the decisions on the biggest decisions that we have to make as a church. Every year, there are two really significant decisions that we make together. The first is, how much money are we going to spend in the next fiscal year? And so for us, we are fiscal year. I know this is getting, I'm already losing some of you. As soon as I said fiscal year, eyes started to glaze over. Our fiscal year is July 1st through June 30th. So that means we have a new budget coming up. Every year we try to figure out like how much money might come in here and how much money should go out. We really try as a church to impact our community for good by feeding people who are hungry, by helping people who don't have homes, by engaging in local policy change efforts for police reform and anti-racist efforts and inclusion of the LGBTQ community. We're a very active church, much to the dismay of some people and the delight of others, right? So if you're in the delight camp, that's all good news to you, right? But we try to really leverage our resources for that. So we have to decide on a budget, right? That will happen next Sunday after church. If you consider yourself a part of this place, right, then you are welcome to come to that meeting, hear about the budget. You'll get a copy of it. You'll see all the details of it. You'll be able to ask questions, and then we're going to vote on whether or not to approve it. And the board makes those decisions before the congregational meeting, right? Like they put together the budget that you're going to see and decide on. And the second big decision that you have to make as a congregation is when we have openings on the board, like we do this year, you get to either approve or disapprove of those nominations. So we have one new nominee for the board this year. I won't spoil the surprise. If you come to the congregational meeting next week, you'll find out who the board nominated according to our bylaws. And then you guys can ask questions about how that works, all that good stuff, and then we'll make some decisions. This is essentially a business meeting, right? Only we're not a business. We're like a co-op, right? Like a spiritual co-op for the good of our community, right? And you're part of that co-op. Make sense? All right. Around the same time that we're doing this, because we have a new fiscal year starting up, we also talk more about money than usual this month every year, because every June is where we're asking you in the lead up to the annual meeting, we're asking you to consider supporting this ministry, to support this organization. And you can do that two ways. The first is by volunteering in some capacity. We really depend on our volunteers when you got, uh, came in today, hopefully you received one of these little handouts. It says annual membership drive. And on the front page is a list of all kinds of ways that you can volunteer. And on the back page is a little form for you to fill out. Give us your name, your phone number, email address, and check the box on what area of work or ministry you would like to volunteer in. You can do just about anything here. There is also a little box for you to say, and here's how much we plan to give financially to the church in the upcoming year. You don't have to put anything in that box, right? We're not the kind of church that says that God's going to like you more if you put money in that little blank, or God's going to like you even more if you put a lot of money in that blank, right? That's not who we are, but we are a charity, and so we need your charitable donations if you value what we do, if you believe in this place, and if you trust us, you think that we're like, you know, straightforward people, 
then just like any charity, please consider making a pledge to give to this charity. That helps us to have some confidence in the budget that we make. It's as simple as that. If you can't do that, that's okay. If you can do that, please consider doing so. If you can give five bucks a month, great. If you can give 500 bucks a month, great. If you can give $50,000 a month, I won't say no. I promise, right? But we really don't, you know, we don't value people who give more or more than we get people who give less. We don't really care. Uh, we're just trying to like keep this mission going, right? And whatever God gives to this place through you is gonna be enough. Does that make sense? Right? We believe God pays for what God orders. So if we get a little bit less, that's okay. We will figure out what to do with that and do our best with it. All right. That's the big money talk. Do y'all feel uncomfortable yet? Are you feeling a little bit weird about it? Okay. If you decide to fill one of these out, just fold, put your name and information on it, fold it up, and then pop it in that little box that you see right at the back of the sanctuary. There's a little sign that says Oceanside Sanctuary Giving pop this in the box and then we will know how you'd like to volunteer or if you plan to give next year to this church. Make sense? Okay. If you have any questions about any of that, you can always approach one of the staff or elders. There's me, Janelle, who's our other co-lead minister. There's Alex, there's Joey. Uh, if you're an elder and you happen to be here on the elder board, could you just raise your hand? I know there are a few. There's Nathan and Lucy are both here. You can always approach an elder and ask them questions too. All right, great. So let's do a little bit of teaching. Can we pray? All right. God, thank you so much for today, for this opportunity for us to come together again and to lift our voices, uh, to open our hearts and our minds in this space, to dedicate a little bit of time this week to having our hearts changed and shaped and molded by your spirit. We ask that you would continue to do that work this morning as we open up Psalm 51 and ask that you would stir our hearts in a way that enlarges our hearts and grows us to be more just and generous people. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, happy Father's Day, by the way. I am a father. I have three daughters. And uh, some of you have heard the birth story of our oldest daughter, Savannah. And that was the birth story where, like, I was a 20-year-old idiot and thought that this is something that women do every day. What's the big deal? And, like, was reading a car magazine while Janelle was in labor. Hey, you've heard that story, right? Well, if you haven't, ask me about it another time. Uh, but by the time our youngest daughter, Alana, who is here with us this morning, by the time our youngest daughter, Alana, came along several years later, I had wised up a little bit. I was over 25. I was, that, I was past that point where your brain fully forms as a human, right? Always good to make children after your brain has fully formed, by the way. By the time Alana came along, I was about 30 years old. And I was much more like existentially aware of the risks and the difficulties of labor. So I was there for Janelle as much as I could possibly be. I tried to be much more attentive. I was genuinely concerned and worried. I was suddenly newly aware that this was a dangerous thing that Janelle was doing. And then on top of that, Janelle had always wanted to have a natural birth. Now, for those of you who don't know what a natural birth is, if you don't have roots in the 1970s, then what you want to know is that this is a birth without drugs. And the first two deliveries, our first two children, Savannah and Judah, involved 
epidural and uh, dopamine, all kinds of you know drugs that Janelle really didn't want, but ended up kind of feeling forced into by the care that she received. So third child comes along and Janelle's like, I'm gonna have a natural birth no matter what it takes. And so she, you know, prepped and really planned. And we, uh, of course, we're like, you know, old pros at this. So when she started to let go into labor, we we're like, eh, some contractions, that doesn't mean anything. We waited, we waited. Janelle was like, I don't think I'm ready yet. I don't think I'm ready yet. By the way, we lived like 60 miles from the hospital. We literally lived in the mountains of Utah. And so, but finally she says, I think it's probably time for me to go. I put her in the car. We embark on the very long drive to the hospital. Now she's really getting close. Like she's like, wow, I don't know. This is getting, it's getting pretty close here. I'm like, okay, well, you're freaking me out, right? So I'm driving down the canyon, you know, from like the mountains to the, to Salt Lake City. We finally get to the hospital. We get there, I wheel her in, and, and the nurse is like, oh, do you think you're in labor, honey? You know, and uh, Janelle's like, listen, <laughs> I am in labor. They check her, and then like all the like lights and sirens start going off in the hospital. Like, this person is ready to give birth. She was like, ready to go. So there was no epidural, there were no drugs, like Alana was coming in a matter of minutes. And this was like my moment to shine. Right? Like I had to make up for not being there as a dad very well for the first birth. And I was okay the second birth, you know, whatever. But this time I was going to be a dad who earned his Father's Day cards, right? <laughs> so I was there. I'm like cradling her head. And she is like, <sighs> she's like, I don't know, babe. This is a lot harder than I remember. Like this is very, very different because she has no drugs whatsoever. And then at one point, if you know Janelle, this is not going to make sense to you at all. One point she said, never mind, I'm not doing this. And she actually, she actually tried to get up and get off the table. And I, and me and the nurses were like, whoa, 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 no, you, you have to do this. This is definitely happening. And so she hit transition and Alana was coming out and Janelle screamed, right? In birth pains and turned her head and screamed into my stomach and clamped down <laughs> hard. <laughs> she bit me. <laughs> I'm just saying. I know what the pain of birth is like too. I said, ow! And she was like, oh, she was shocked. I said, you bit me. And she might have gotten a little look of vindication on her face. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying maybe just a little bit. There was a part of her that was like proud. <laughs> And I'll admit there was a part of me that thought I deserved that, right? <laughs> so the, this is, the whole sermon today is really just an excuse for me to tell that story. <laughs> the point, of course, is that uh, birth accompanies pain, right? Birth accompanies struggle. It's one of the biggest cliches, right? We're going to take a look at uh, a struggle of birth in Psalm chapter 51. We're going to look at three verses. I want to share these three verses with you specifically, but then I want to show you something on the front end and the back end of these three verses. This is Psalm chapter 51. So this is traditionally understood as David, of course, David from the Old Testament, King David, sort of one of the revered figures 
of Judaism. He says this in verses 10, 11, and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Now, a couple of things. The first is these passages can quickly evoke like some like frustrations around like notions of purity that we often have in religion. These sound a lot like the author of the Psalms or God through the author of the Psalms telling us that we have to be pure and right and good in order to be inhabited by the Spirit of God. And I want to say to you that I don't think that's what's happening here. And if you remember last week, we talked about the Spirit of God. That's what this whole series is about. It's about following the Spirit, right? Last week, we talked about the Spirit of God's first appearance in Scripture which was Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Right there at the beginning, in the act of creation, we saw the Ruach, the Spirit of God, hovering over the void, hovering over the darkness. And I said to you last week that this first appearance of the Spirit is meant to convey this idea that the Spirit of God comes as a creator, Right? That that creation, as the Spirit of God hovers over the void and the darkness, that the first thing the Spirit does is divide the day from the night, the darkness from the light, and that represents this act of creation that kicks off all the creation that happens throughout Genesis chapter 1. Right? From that first act of distinction, of difference, that separation of the dark from the light, right? that I said is not good and evil, it's simply the kind of pendulum swing of the human experience. I said that the Spirit comes and helps divide an understanding between those differences, and that from those differences comes creation. Well, I think the same thing is happening here. Psalm chapter 51 is one of the few chapters in the Bible where we have this same ruach, this same expression of the Spirit of God in Judaism. And the Spirit of God comes right in the middle of a chapter that begins with darkness and ends in light. At the beginning of Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In other words, David is deeply aware that he is not right, that there is something that's not quite right with him. He's not in a good place. He feels like he is not doing what is right in his life. For I know my, transgression, my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Skipping forward to verse 6, he says, You desire truth in my inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. This, I think, is the experience of human darkness. When we are in our worst place, 
We feel like we are utterly wrong, utterly broken, utterly crushed, when no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we try to muster our strength, we just aren't good enough. And this feeling that we have of not being good enough is something that we often feel when we're trying to do something good, something significant, something important, something that matters to us. We try and we fail, we fall short, and we think, woe is me, what is wrong with me? I'm the worst. I'm definitely worse than the person next to me who does the same thing and does it so much better. Right? Like this is a universal human experience. David is down in the dumps, so to speak. And from there, verse 10, there is this hinge point. David turns to God and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. This is the first appearance of the spirit in this passage. Don't cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. This is a kind of triple parallelism. We've talked in the past about Hebrew poetry how Hebrew poetry uses parallelism to expand meaning. Well, in this passage, three times the Spirit of God is used, right? Creating me a clean heart. Don't cast me away from your presence and restore to me the joy of your salvation. This sort of triple parallel construction tells us that the, the state of being clean, the state of being pure, is the same as the state of being aligned with the Spirit of God. And that is also aligned with the experience of joy. That when we experience joy, we are pure, we are good, we are right, and vice versa. In fact, you could say this is how we know that we are aligned with the Spirit of God, because our soul sings with joy in that moment when we are doing what we were created to do when we are in the right place. But before that comes a struggle a struggle with our doubts, our fears, our inadequacies. On the other side of this passage, though, 10, 11, and 12, we then hear David say this, verse 13, then, right, once your spirit is with me, once I have been aligned with you in joy, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Now, forgive me if I see a little bit of David's ego here. David has gone from saying, I am the worst, to I will teach everybody how to live. And that, too, I think is a very common human experience. That we, when we are in these incredible depths, when we are struggling with self-doubt, when we are struggling with a, a hyper-attuned awareness of our frailties and our weaknesses and the worst parts of ourselves, that we are longing for God or the Spirit or goodness to fix us. And on the other side of that, we often have grandiose ideas of what we will be and do. And that's okay. Those big dreams drive us. Those enormous hopes and aspirations are oftentimes how the Spirit of God propels us forward into a transformation. And this is the transformation that David is describing. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, 
O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. David is saying that even worship, even religious expressions, even religious rituals are not enough. That without that connection to the Spirit of God, everything that we do is empty. It doesn't fulfill our longing to be right. This is, I think, a, a psalm of new birth. And just like in Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God hovers over the void of the earth, the darkness of the earth. Here, the Spirit of God hovers over the darkness in David's heart. And this experience, this encounter with the Spirit, is a kind of hinge point. It's sort of the transition from David's depths of darkness to the heights of what he thinks he can be at his very best if he is aligned with the Spirit of God, this experience of transition. This experience with the Spirit totally changes him. It creates new possibilities for him, where he can imagine himself as a teacher. He can imagine himself as nonviolent, not leaning on bloodshed to get his way, where he can imagine himself fulfilling the will of God apart from religious expression. There is the birth of something new here. And that is, of course, exactly how Jesus describes this experience. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, one of his sort of pharisaical followers, if you will. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus and Nicodemus is asking him, who are you? What are you all about? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born of water and of spirit, you have no life in you. Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? Jesus says, you're the teacher of the law, and you don't understand this. You have to be born again. You have to experience new birth. That new birth is exactly this experience of the Spirit that David is describing. An encounter with something bigger than us that creates new possibilities in our hearts and in our minds. Paul calls this not new birth, but new creation. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 and 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Behold those of you who have been aligned with Christ, new creation. New creation. Something new is being created in you. I love how a 20th century philosopher Hannah Arendt picks up this idea. Hannah Arendt, who's a German-born political philosopher of Jewish heritage, not a Christian, says that the proclamation of the birth of Christ in the Gospels is the ultimate expression of human freedom. And it forms the basis of her entire political philosophy. She calls this natality. In other words, new birth. She says, the miracle that saves the world, the realm of human affairs from its normal natural ruin is ultimately the fact of natality. It is, in other words, the birth of new people and the new beginning. 
the action they are capable of by virtue of being born. Only in the full experience of this capacity can bestow on human affairs faith and hope. Arendt is saying that this idea, this idea of being born, this idea of being made new, this idea of being made a new creation in every moment where we experience something beyond us, something transcendent, she called it, that is every moment of human freedom that creates new possibilities for our world. That's the spirit. We're asking the question, what does it mean to follow the spirit? The answer is it means to experience that moment of transcendence that births something new in you, that changes your mind and changes your heart. And it takes you from the depths of despair to the heights of hope and faith. And here's the thing. This is not a strictly religious experience. This is a universal human experience. Paul's whole point, Paul's whole point in Galatians, the entire letter, I promise, go read it for yourself. Paul's whole point in the book of Galatians is that this experience of the Spirit is not limited by ethnic or gender or religious boundaries. Therefore, in Christ, we are made a new creation. There is no longer any Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for all are one because of Christ. Christ is the universalizing of this Jewish understanding of the Spirit of God for all people. For all people. It doesn't take a philosopher to understand this. Every artist or poet or painter can tell you what an experience of new creation is like. Everybody who has ever experienced that moment, that thrill of something new coming to you from seemingly somewhere outside can tell you what genuine inspiration is like. That's what inspiration means. It means to be filled by the divine spirit. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, where you were born, how much money you have in the bank, what your race or ethnicity is, your gender, your sexuality. Every human being knows what this experience of natality is. It is a universal human experience. It's not just artists and poets and musicians. It's also every philosopher and scientist and revolutionary. Religion, at its worst, is driven by fear and seeks to control that transcendent experience of the Spirit. Every expression of religion, at its worst, seeks to own and control and ultimately market this experience of God for profit, for power. But religion, at its best, Religion at its best recognizes that God is completely free. That you can't control God's spirit, I can't control God's spirit. No creed or doctrine or religious building or institution that you create can contain the spirit of God. This is what our very first installment in this series was all about. Acts chapter 10, 
Peter discovers that the Spirit of God has come to Cornelius, a God-fearing Roman soldier. This causes a great controversy in the early church, the first great council of the early church where they decide, I guess you don't have to be Jewish in order to experience God. But today, we have taken that notion and turned it on its head and said, you have to be Christian to experience God. Even worse, you have to be a particular kind of Christian to experience God, the kind who reads a certain kind of Bible and thinks a certain kind of thoughts and prays certain kinds of prayers and experiences a certain kind of fellowship. It's a denial of the absolute and utter freedom of God to do whatever God wants, whether we like it or not. Religion at its best recognizes that God is completely free. So then what are we here for? If we don't own or control God, if we don't have the ability to capitalize on God for our own selves, if we can't trademark God and a version of God that really is the best that we can sort of market and profit from, then why do we exist? I think that spiritual communities have the opportunity to help each other have these divine encounters. Here's the thing about it. In a sense, every single human institution on earth exists for this encounter. Every religious institution, every educational institution, every political institution exists for a moment of transcendence that creates new possibilities for goodness in the world, every human institution, because this is a human experience. But it's really only communities of faith, at their best, not at their worst. It's really only communities of faith that have the courage to admit that this moment of transcendence, this natality, this experience of the spirit comes from something bigger than us and that we can't control it. We can't own it. We can't market it. We can't profit from it. And I'm perfectly aware that religion at its worst, as I have described it today, makes a lot of profit from doing it. <laughs> Which is why I think it's all the more important that communities of faith that don't want to own and control God stand up and speak up and represent an expression of religion that is just and generous for the good of their communities. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again for today and this opportunity for us to sing these songs and pray these prayers and read these words for this opportunity for our hearts and minds to be stretched just a little bit. It's our prayer, God, that you would birth new possibilities here among us, that we would have an imagination for all the ways that your spirit is at work in the world, 
creating new moments of birth and transcendence, new expressions of human goodness and compassion in your image. It's our prayer here today that we could be a part of that in some way. And that in so doing, we could come against those expressions of religion that are based in fear and control and dominance and even violence. Give us the courage to be that kind of people. We pray that in Jesus' name.